We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep episode 22. My name's Kane Pittman and I am not joined by my usual co-host in Ty Windish. He's got some uh, family stuff happening this weekend so he is out but I am going to be here and I'm going to run a solo podcast and talk to myself for 30 minutes because there is just so much to talk about from uh, the Bucks' big win last night in Boston uh, they win 123 to 116, and for the first time in this series, they take control. Boston are now playing from behind, and the Bucks were able to get that huge monkey off their back, which was winning a playoff game in Boston. So uh, just an incredibly impressive performance from Milwaukee to, to follow up from game two and, and play just as well as they did in this one. It was the third quarter a 40-point third quarter, much like in Game 2, and we're going to keep referring to that because there was just so many similarities, but uh, the third quarter was vital for the Bucks. They outscored the Celtics 40-31. to Giannis lived at the free-throw line uh, during that period of play, and in the end, uh, that was uh, the difference between the Bucks sort of facing a, a really close fourth quarter, which we haven't seen either team have to do, obviously, in this series, and, uh, you know, with that third quarter, they're able to create a nice little buffer and, and, and cruise home in the end, even though uh, I'm sure there were some anxious moments for, for Bucks fans that just wanted that fourth quarter to be done with so, so uh, they could secure the win and, and take an, an all-important 2-1 lead in the series. So, as I said, there's so much to talk through from this game. Uh, Giannis... Uh, obviously was where it all started for the Bucks. He finishes with uh, 32 points, uh, 13 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 blocks as well, uh, 16 of 22 from the free throw line. Uh, as I already mentioned earlier, he lived at the free throw line in the third quarter. 
And I, I really just thought from the start of this game, we saw Giannis or the Giannis that we know, the Giannis that we love to watch, uh, getting to his spots in the paint and really finishing. And, and uh, you know, at the start when the Bucks do take a little bit of a punch and they're down 10 to 2, I thought it was Giannis that settled down the team. Uh, he was able to get into the paint and get a couple of layups. And a couple of those layups that just haven't been going for him uh, in, in this series. And this was probably more of a typical Giannis performance. He finishes 8 for 13 from the field, 61%. That's sort of the number that, that we've been seeing from him all, all year. Obviously, he had some struggles in the first couple of games. And he only shoots one one three-pointer in this uh, in this game. So, uh, you know, he, he understood with the way this game was going that his work and the damage uh, that he could cause was all going to be in the paint. So Giannis really takes over this game. Uh, there was... You know, a, a big thing with Giannis through the first two games and, and certainly game one in when, when I was looking back at this game and I spoke a little bit about this with Ty uh, on a previous episode was that he needed to be patient with the ball. And, and I think that's what we've really seen from Giannis over these last two games and even more so last night in game three. He understands now how the Celtics are trying to defend him and he's not forcing anything anymore. And I think that's what we saw in game one, that Giannis was just getting a little too frustrated and, and just trying to force things and, and get to his spots, but not be patient with that, just really barrel his way in there and get a shot up no matter what. I think that we're seeing, uh, as I said, a more patient Giannis. He's able to find these guys now. And there was one player in, in particular that I actually tweeted the video out today from there was a thread that uh, Matt Moore was 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 tweeting out, and one of the plays was where Giannis in the second quarter, where Giannis, and it was a semi transition play, which is the key to all of this. And we're going to talk a little bit about pace of play later on in the episode. But it's a semi transition look for the Bucks and Giannis. We know when he gets the defense on the back foot and they're backpedaling, that's when really good, good things really happen for him. So. Uh, he spins into the paint. He draws a crowd of three, and in the end, uh, four Celtics defenders. The only defender that Celtics player that didn't go in to defend him was Al Horford, who's probably the guy that the Celtics actually want to be defending Giannis. So that's a win straight off the bat. Uh, Horford was staying out on Lopez in the perimeter. But Giannis is sort of approaching the restricted area on this spin. The Celtics players all are drawn into him, and Giannis turns and sees Tony Snell, who's cut baseline and standing under the rim. He just dumps off a little pass for for an open layup, and it was those types of players. And I was watching the game with with a couple of friends, so I, I didn't travel to Boston, but I I guess the bonus of that was I got to hang out at, at Fiserv Forum, and without getting too distracted, what a atmosphere they've got there! It's incredible the job they've done. It was a really fun time, but. He dumps off, dumps off the ball to Snell, as I said, and I turned to my friends and I said, well, this, this can happen literally on every single possession because Giannis is so dominant right now that the Celtics, even if they, like they, don't, even if they don't want to, he, they are getting sucked into covering Giannis. And as long as Giannis is in control and patient and aware of, this, of his surroundings, then the Bucs are going to be able to get whatever look they want. He also had George Hill... To his left in the corner, and then Miritich to his right, who were uh, who were left open by their defenders. So there's so many options for Giannis right now, uh, and the patience that he's showing is uh, is, is incredibly uh, impressive for for a guy of how quickly he's been able to adjust to what was 
a really difficult game one for all concerned. Uh, and I think that while we, I want to give all, a lot of credit to Giannis, something that I just mentioned before, pace of play is something that is contributing to this in a big way. So uh, one of the big factors, I, I think, in this series when I'm, I'm thinking about how the Bucks are going to win and what is going to be uh, you know, vital to, to their chances is pace of play. We know the Bucks want to play fast. We know how dangerous they are in transition. They've got Giannis, but not only Giannis, they've got Bledsoe, uh, who who is you know a terror in transition when he gets the ball in the open floor. They've got uh, shooters all all around the floor. Chris Middleton is a guy that not only is a great spot up shooter if you can if you can get him in those transition players, but he loves shooting that pull up three that we've seen him knock down relentlessly during the playoffs and during the season as well. So they are built to play fast, and the Celtics. They don't want that. The problem for Boston, if the Bucks get out in transition, is that they can't set their defense. And if you don't set your defense with Giannis coming downhill, then it's all over. Your only hope is that the Bucks miss wide open shots because that's what they're getting in transition. Either Giannis is going to dunk on you, you're either going to foul him, or he's going to find an open shooter, and they're going to get a they're going to get a terrific look. So pace of play is is just critical to what the Bucks are trying to do. And and after a game one where they got caught. In, in the half court for the majority of the game, we've seen the Bucks really be able to unlock their transition basketball. And a lot of that starts from the, from the defensive end, which, which again, we've, we've seen the Bucks through game uh, two and three now really defend well, create stops, create uh, difficult looks for the Celtics, and then get out and run. And it's okay. It's okay if you're getting the stops. But you have to get out and run, and I didn't think the urgency was there in Game One. So again, we saw that last night. So as I said, the big factor for the Bucks was was the way they were able to run. And in the third quarter, we saw that it was Giannis living at the free throw line, as I as I sort of said earlier. So it's twenty two free throw attempts for Giannis. And if you get on Twitter, the Celtics fans are not happy right now. And I will say, it's not just the fans that aren't happy. The Celtics players aren't happy, and I'm sure. A lot of you guys saw uh, Kyrie Irving's post-game press conference and a really, really strange comment from Kyrie in, in my books. Uh, he sort of he hinted that the way the, the refs officiated the third quarter and he said something along the lines of, well, Giannis is getting to the free throw line six times in a row. That's slowing us us down. That's slowing the game down. We can't make a run if, if, if he's living on the foul line. And I'm going to tell you, Kyrie, it's pretty simple from my, from my books. Stop fouling. Because you can argue that there's maybe, yeah, maybe there was a couple of calls that you're like, hmm, that was pretty suspect. But there was a couple down the other end as well that were very suspect. Boston shoot 32 free throws on the night. The Bucks shoot uh, 36. And this is without even taking into account that the Celtics were intentionally fouling the Bucks late in the game. To give them a few extra free throws. So if you're Kyrie, and and that's and that's what your that's what your takeaway from the game is, then I don't really like where your head's at for this series when you're down two one because it's difficult enough as it is to defend Giannis. But if you get guys as frustrated and and in their heads clearly like Giannis is right now, and they're worried about the officials, they're not worried about what they're doing wrong on the floor. I think it's a big win for the Bucks. So Giannis. And this is something I've said a few times during the year, and we've discussed it endlessly because we've been watching Giannis do what he does and be so dominant in the paint. There's really only one other guy in the league that 
can play the way Giannis is playing in terms of transition and getting into the paint and 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 drawing fouls, and that's LeBron. So this is the problem. Like the Celtics can be frustrated that that Giannis is living at the free throw line, but my feeling is the real frustration for them is that they just don't have a guy that can do that. Kyrie's great. He's great, and he had a pretty good game last night, but he's not able to dominate the Bucks physically the way Giannis is, and they don't really have another guy that can do that. They're going to be shooting a lot of jump shots, and it's going to be a lot of perimeter stuff for Boston, but they don't have a guy that can just dominate physically the game like Giannis has sort of the last two. Uh, so that's that's obviously a big problem for Boston because – this is something I've always thought. When people talk about uh, the playoffs and, oh, is Giannis going to be able to, you know, really uh, take over a playoff game when he doesn't have the jump shot? And, and again, he's shooting 50% from three in this series, so his jump shot's looking fine. But uh, I, I sort of look at it the other way. When the game gets physical and uh, it, you do need more points in the paint and you do need easy buckets, you want a guy like Giannis on your team because, as we saw last night, the Celtics had no answer and there was a stretch in the game where Giannis just, every single possession, you would look at it and, and I, there was a couple of times there where I, I turned to my friends and, and there was Tatum was guarding him a couple of times and as soon as Giannis got Tatum, I just turned to my friends and said, well, this is going to be a foul because they can't do anything. They physically can't stop him. So, look, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not the officials take any note of, of Boston's sort of comments on, on the calls. Maybe we do see Giannis not uh, getting uh, these calls that that he he got last night. I'm not too sure, um, but I will say I think it's certainly in the Bucks' favor that Giannis doesn't complain ever about anything with the officials, and I, and I think that that counts for something because the referees are human, <laughs> and uh, you know the fact that the the Celtics are doing a lot of complaining and a lot of talking. I don't know if that, that, that works a lot of the time. Brad Stevens, after the game, was asked about the officials and he, he refused to comment. He said, oh, I don't, I don't make uh, any comments about the officials. And I, I thought that was a, a terrific answer from him. I'm sure that the Celtics are talking or, or, or writing a letter or doing whatever it is to the, to the officials, uh, you know, during in between game three and four here. But I, I just think the argument that you didn't like the calls because it didn't allow you to play the way you want to play, I don't like it, man. It's just like stop, stop fouling and, and, and you know, you guys will be okay. So that was felt like a key takeaway from the game. Just so much talk about the calls and, and the free throws for Giannis. But what about George Hill? Because this guy continues to give the Bucks really, really, really good minutes. He plays 29 last night. He has 21 points, and 9 for 12 in the field, uh, 2 for 3 from the three-point line. He had four rebounds and three assists as well. George Hill continues to torch the Celtics. And when George Hill is on the floor, things go well for the Bucks. Through three games so far, George Hill has played 78 minutes. Uh, so he had 78 minutes on the floor, 66 minutes off the floor. Uh, an offensive rating of 119 when he's on and 87.8 when he's off. So when George Hill is on, the off the Bucks offense is really cooking, and when it, when he's off, it it drops to a pretty ugly low. So a net rating of twelve uh, with Hill on the floor and minus twelve point two when he's on the bench. So Hill, I mean, at this point, you have to say that that Hill has been the the best point guard in the series. I don't think that that's a, that's a stretch at all. I think that to this point, that's been fact. He's averaging thirteen point three points. 
So he's playing around 25 minutes a game just to t- touch over. And in those 25 minutes, he's averaging 13, 13.3 points, 61.5% from the field and 50% from three. And the thing I love about George Hill is we know what he can do defensively, but on offense, it doesn't surprise me that the Bucks are, are playing so well with him on the floor because he just doesn't make bad decisions. And I think if you're strictly looking to make a comparison between Eric Bledsoe and George Hill in this series, that's probably it because I just, I mean, we know that the Bledsoe can be a little bit erratic at times and that's part of why he's so good and it's part of why he has been so good this year for the Bucks. But during these playoffs, and this has been a pretty intense series so far and certainly last night, this was a game that could have gone either way at halftime and, and the third quarter was, was critical. And while I've, I've spoke endlessly, I, I feel like about Giannis's third quarter and the free throws, George Hill hit two huge threes, got to the foul line another time, blew by Kyrie Irving for a, a dunk that it was incredible. I, I was like, is that, are we sure that that's George Hill that just did that? He just played an unbelievable game and just did not make a bad decision all night. And this is something that's been a, a feature of his play since coming across to the box. And uh, I just, you have to, you have to shake your head when you think about the trade where the Bucks trade Dolliver Dover and John Henson to the Cavs, two contracts that the Bucks would have been desperate to get off their hands, perhaps in individual deals. I certainly didn't think that they were going to be able to get uh, both those guys off the books in one trade. They get back George Hill, who it wasn't. I mean, he was playing fine in Cleveland, but the Cavs are sort of irrelevant. And last year on the Cavs team, Hill, I mean, he had LeBron on his team, and they were running a different sort of operation down there with the Cavs, and they got to the finals and. George Hill wasn't a big factor, but I, I think that the big thing for him, as soon as he came to Milwaukee, Mike Budenholzer obviously very familiar with George Hill from the past at the Spurs and um, just in general being in the league for so long. And, and one of the things that Bud said right from the, the start is that he really, really trusts George Hill. He trusts him in big moments. He trusts him in the fourth quarter. And he trusts that he's a guy that, as I've sort of said, is just going to make good decisions. And Hill's done nothing but make good decisions Defensively, obviously, as I said, has a huge impact. But now, certainly since he came back, really, from this, the second game that he had off with a, a doctor strain late in the, in the regular season, he's just been incredible. He has been unbelievable, been constant offense. Uh, he's been He's got his explosion back, getting to the rim, and he's also been hitting the threes. So George Hill right now, as I said, for mine, probably the best point guard in the series right now. And, and that's... Can't be understated how big that is for this Bucks team who are dealing with uh, uh, such an elite point guard like Kyrie Irving. So just big-time play from George Hill. He was, as I said, he was a part of that huge run in the third quarter, and he just continues to have one hell of a series. Another guy I want to talk about off the bench, because this is, this is big for the Bucks When you look at bench play and the way that Mike Budenholzer likes to, uh, likes to, to stretch out his rotation, uh, Pat Connaughton is a guy that has drew some criticism from Bucks fans. I probably feel like he was playing a little bit too much, certainly early uh, in, in Game 2. There was some constant uh, Pat Connaughton minutes and things weren't really going that well for the Bucks. But along with Giannis in the first quarter, as I said, the Bucks trailed early in this one. They got down by as many as double digits. So 
they had to sort of hang in there and weather the storm a little bit. And Pat Conan was a big reason they were able to do that. He finishes the game with 14 points on, on four for nine shooting from three. He gets his seven rebounds. So coming off an 11 rebound game in game two, Pat Conan and continues to hit the glass. I don't think anyone's surprised by that. The guy's just a, a maniac, uh, just a complete ball of energy. And, and sometimes it's, as we've said many times, sometimes it works against him, particularly defensively on those uh, closeouts where he, he tries to block every shot into the into the fifth row. But last night, as I said, offensively early in the game, hits a couple of threes in the first quarter, gets another offensive rebound and a putback, eight points in a in a key stretch, or eight straight points actually for Pat Conant in, in a key first quarter stretch that just kept the Bucks afloat. So while... I certainly understand that there was some criticism, uh, you know, with how much Pat Conan is playing. I thought last night certainly justified, and and the second half in, in game two as well. So Pat is now starting to uh, sort of find find his rhythm a little bit, and I think that's good to see. He did play twenty eight minutes last night, so again, you know, Conan and playing playing major minutes, and and at this point, I think that we're just going to continue to see that. And when you look at the bench. For the Bucks, Tony Snell also, he, he played five minutes. Uh, Tony Snell, interestingly, came into the game in the second quarter. Uh, he's sort of been out of the rotation since he came back from that ankle uh, strain in, in, in the Detroit series. So just looking at the box score, the Bucks do tighten the rotation to just eight guys, which is which is kind of curious. This is this is not something that, that Bud has done a lot. So he spoke about not tightening the rotation or he didn't think that was something he was going to do. But last night, you, you get the feeling that Bud, once they got that lead, he's like, well, we, we have to win this game. We cannot let this game slip. And Giannis plays 39 minutes, Middleton 38. So that's well up on, on anything they've come close to so far in, through the entire playoffs. Um, so that's a key indicator that, that Bud, again, may say some things that might uh, frustrate Bucks fans. But you're just going to see how things play out. And uh, I think we're starting to see... It's closer to to a, to a playoff rotation for for the Bucks. So, out of all the starters, and and again, the Bucks did start Nikola Mirotic, who was able to hit a couple of threes, three for seven for Mirotic, thirteen points. I thought he was a nice offensive option. I really like him in the starting lineup, and obviously, maybe down the line, this changes if Malcolm Brogdon comes back. But for now, I really like the look of Mirotic in there, spacing the floor. And I think he's useful defensively, honestly. I, I, I This was not something that people expected from Miritic, but uh, I like what he's bringing on that hand. He, he is physical. Uh, he brings a lot of energy in, and he enjoys it. I, I asked him at practice just before they flew out to Boston, and he got a big smile on his face when I asked him about the challenge of defending these smaller guys and having a Jalen Brown or a Jason Tatum really trying to attack him. And he said he loves that challenge. <clears throat> That's something that, as a, as a player, he... he it, brings out that competitiveness in him and he likes to show what he can do. So, uh, yeah, really strong move to bring in Miritich into the starting lineup and I, I like what we've seen there. But Eric Bledsoe is someone that I do want to touch on. So a pretty rough night, certainly shooting the ball for Eric Bledsoe. He finishes with just nine points on four for 15 shooting, one for six from three. He only has four assists. He has four turnovers. And he was actually the only Bucks player with a negative plus minus on the box score. He finishes at minus nine in his 27 minutes. Uh, and just from a mental standpoint, I will say that I think this is really, really, really big that the Bucks won this game. I don't think Eric Bledsoe played great. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not as extreme 
on the negative side of Eric Bledsoe that certainly some of my Twitter mentions were because there's a reason for that. And, and I already spoke about pace of play earlier in the podcast, but I think Bledsoe is so key to that. And the thing I did like about Bledsoe's game, even though obviously he had some struggles scoring the ball and look, Again, not the cleanest of nights for Bledsoe. I, uh, you know, you would love to see him finish a little better around the rim. You would like to see a couple more of those threes go down. But I really like the aggressiveness because we all know what happened in Boston last year and the Terry Rozier and, and all that stuff. So for him to go back into Boston would have been a really, really tough mental challenge uh, for Bledsoe. And we saw that he bounced back in game two, and I thought that was huge for his mentality coming into Boston in Game 3, but he could have gone into his shell in this game. And we've seen many times during the year where he sort of just disappears in the offense and you sort of find yourself looking at the box score in the third quarter and Bledsoe's only taken three shots and you sort of wonder why that happens. But that didn't happen last night. And I thought, yes, maybe at times I thought that he was a little out of control and maybe trying a little bit too hard to make things happen. But I'll take that every day of the week over... Bledsoe not being aggressive and and hiding away from potentially failing or potentially missing shots. I want him to be aggressive at all times. So, <clears throat> look, if, if the Bucks lose, maybe I'm looking at this from a different angle. But I think for the series moving forward, the fact that the Bucks won and the fact that Bledsoe wanted the challenge and took on the challenge, I, I think that's really big. So, you, as I said, you would love <clears throat> moving forward for Bledsoe to... Uh, you know, have more of an impact offensively, but it can't be understated how important he is for the for the flow of the Bucks, uh, for the offense, for the pace of play. And I think that he contributed in a positive way to that last night. Even though, as I said, the box score doesn't look great, so I'm I'm not willing to you know uh, take a shot at Bledsoe for that last night. I think he'll be really really happy that that game is out of the way, and I think he'll really be be really really happy that uh, the Bucks won because just from a Mental standpoint, if the Bucks lose, had a loss last night, and Bledsoe has another rough night, I think he's in a, he's in a pretty difficult position. So uh, I think there's still some positives to take away from this game for Bledsoe. Uh, for the Celtics, I want to look a little bit from the Boston point of view and, and what they can do right now to get back into the series. Uh, you know, Kyrie Irving spoke a lot about making better decisions. Um, you know, certainly showing patience and and not firing up bad shots that he he got a little he saw a little bit of in in uh, game two he finishes with 29 points on eight for 22 shooting he was two for eight from three uh he did get to the foul line for 12 free throw attempts so again kind of curious that he was making such a big deal about Giannis getting to the free throw line when he had 12 himself but the important stat is he was a minus seven when he was on the floor so he didn't the Celtics weren't able to uh, take over the game when when Kyrie was on, and I, I was really impressed with how the Bucks were able to weather the storm early. As I said, the Celtics raced out to a double digit lead early in this game, and you could tell that Kyrie was trying to take over the game. Uh, as the game went on, though, those shots started to miss, and for him to shoot eight for twenty two, if you're the Bucks, yeah, you'll take that all day long. So right now, Kyrie is now twelve for forty from the field in game two and game three, and a lot of credit has to go to the Bucks defense for that. We know that Kyrie Irving likes to take tough shots and he will make a, a percentage of them, but they're not going for him at, at the moment. Uh, and the Bucks are taking full advantage. They're putting a lot of pressure on him uh, as a ball handler. Uh, six assists, four turnovers for Irving on the night. Not, not great by any stretch there for him. 
And again, this is where I come back to the point. Irving is sort of struggling with his shot. He's not having the impact you would like. Uh, uh, Eric Bledsoe, again, yeah, a little bit down. Obviously, had a great game too. And then there's George Hill. As I said, it's the best point guard in the series so far, George Hill. So Kyrie Irving, look, again, he's he's too good a player for this you know, shooting. And, and again, you have to give a lot of credit to the Bucks, to the Bucks defense, but I still think that you have to be wary of Kyrie Irving. Uh, he played 41 minutes last night. A lot of dribbling, a lot of dribbling again from Kyrie Irving, and I've said this a few times, but that really plays into the Bucks' hands. If Kyrie Irving gets caught in trying to beat everyone off the dribble and take on the entire Bucks' defense, that makes the Milwaukee job easy. So I, I thought early in the game, this changed a little bit because I, I thought Jason Tatum, remember, this is a guy that only had nine points total. So he's averaging 4.5 points per game over game one and two. And he was playing 27 minutes per game. So Jason Tatum, just a complete non-factor uh, through game one and two. And I thought they made a real effort to get him going. And I asked Brad Stevens about this after game two. How do you get Tatum going? What do you see? And he... He, re- he didn't even answer the question. He's like, I'm not going to talk about individual players. We've got, we've got big things to work on as a group. But there's no doubt in my mind they looked to get Tatum going, and Tatum was uh, certainly aggressive. The interesting thing, Tatum, 0 for 5 from 3. He hasn't hit a 3 in the series. He doesn't look like hitting the 3, but he found his, did find his spots in the mid-range. And this was something that you know I spoke about in the keys to the games for the Celtics. It was Jason Tatum and the other one was Gordon Haywood, just non-factors in game two, and they needed to get involved. I thought, you know, Haywood tried. Uh, it certainly was pretty aggressive getting to the basket, but again, only two for eight from the field for Haywood. So there's still a lot of upside for Boston, uh, but uh, it's hard to see if that improvement is going to come from those guys because the trouble with Boston, and this is a thing that I, I think, or a reason why they're struggling, it's all individual. So when you look at the Bucks offense, it's as we as we've said all year, it's all inclusive. These guys aren't out there playing isolation basketball, looking for their own shots. They're just passing it to the next guy. If it's Miritich, he's open. He's going to shoot a three. If it's Lopez, he's open. He's going to shoot a three. The Bucks share the ball and they play true team offense. The Celtics don't, and that's a problem for them. They need to move the ball. They've got so many talented individual players that they can get back in this series really, really quickly but they need to be unselfish and they can't be playing uh, you know, one-on-one basketball because the Bucs are too talented defensively. One-on-one, the Bucs want that. They want, to, they want to defend you one-on-one because they'll trust that they'll force you into a tough shot and I think we're seeing that. So again, the key for Boston, they're going to move the ball. They're going to play unselfish and, and not play for themselves and this has been the question all year with Boston. <laughs> Have they got too many, too many cooks in the, in, in the kitchen? And I, I don't know. I mean, the last two games, it kind of feels like it. I'd like to see some more team ball from the Celtics. But they now find themselves behind in the series. And this was something that uh, Ty and myself spoke about before the series. How is Boston going to respond if they find themselves down in the series? Because it's all fine when you're winning and you win game two by 20 points on the road and you're feeling good about yourself. But now, now they're really under pressure to win game four. If they lose game four, this series is over. So... How does this team respond? Like I said, I didn't really like the response post-game from the Celtics talking about um, the officials more more than themselves, really. Well, certainly that was the main takeaway. They they weren't just flat out complaining, but there was, it was certainly a takeaway. I, I don't really like that. This Celtics team, uh, to me, has a big question mark over their head of how they respond when they are, are down and the chips are down and it's not all going well. So... 
you know, just a huge, you know, huge, huge game four for Boston on, on Monday night. As I said, if they can't win this game, the series was over. And really, now Boston needs to beat the Bucks three out of four times. So they're they're right up against it now. So it can't be understated how big uh, that that uh, that win was for Milwaukee on the road. Their first playoff win on the road in Boston since the eighties. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a long time coming after four losses. Obviously, last year in the first round, uh, it, it had to feel good for them. So I think I've really gone over this game as closely as I could. I have got a couple minutes here. And I, a couple of you guys did uh, send in some questions. So I want to quickly get to these before I wrap this this up as I don't think I've really spoke to myself for this long ever in my life. So a question here from Tanner at Cowboy of Space on Twitter. He asked about my thoughts on Middleton getting pressured when he takes the ball up the court. So it's a two-part question, but I'll get to that first. Uh, thoughts on Middleton getting pressured when he takes the ball up the court. Well, my thought on that is that that's a win for Milwaukee because that's not what the Celtics want to do. But the reason they're doing that is because we saw in game two how damaging Chris Middleton is. If you let him get rhythm and take a few rhythm dribbles in transition, it doesn't matter if you're standing in his face. He's going to shoot that three, and that is probably the shot where he feels most comfortable. Certainly from three, he's shooting such a high percentage on, on those transition transition looks. So that's not what that's, that's an unnatural defense for the, for the Celtics. So... I understand why they're doing it, but I just think that's a win for the Bucs because, again, the whole premise of how the Bucs are going to have success against the Celtics offensively is getting the Celtics out of position. And if, if Middleton's the guy that they're, they're pressuring uh, you know, that tightly when he's bringing the ball up the court, they're out of position from the word go. So, uh, I, you know, again, as I said, I understand it, but uh, I think it's a win for the Bucs. Uh, he, he also asked or mentioned that he thought Snell looked lost on a few rotations last night and that worries him for Brogdon's return. Look, I, I think that when you've got a guy coming back from such a long layoff as Brogdon will be, and also Miritich, I, I think that's a legitimate concern. I think it does take a little bit of time to work back into it, and, and the problem is when you're in the playoffs, you don't have a lot of time to to, to adjust. It's It has to be right then and there. So I'm not overly concerned. Brogdon is such a, such a clever player and, and you know a real student of the game, I guess, or, or someone that, that understands what the Bucks are doing so well. So I'm not overly concerned, but sure, there's certainly going to be some rust when Brogdon gets back, and that, that's going to be something something to watch. Uh, Fred Dead Redemption at Logan Marty asks about Lopez's lowish minutes output. Uh, he says he seems not to flow within the offense much this series, but is doing better than expected on defense. So Lopez is playing around those mid-20s, and this has been pretty consistent throughout the year for him. So... While it is certainly low, uh, I, I think there's a couple of reasons for this. I think, first of all, the Bucks have had such great success uh, defensively going a little bit smaller with Giannis at the five, and they've got some great minutes out of Ersan and, and Miritich coming into the starting lineup as well. So I just think it's in that comfortable sort of uh, minute mark for Lopez. I think it's about right. Uh, we have seen at times that with Al Horford, they can... Um, you know, cause problems, I guess, in the pick and roll because if the Bucks are switching one through four, then that leaves the five. Obviously, Lopez is sort of holding his position in the paint there. So they, the Celtics can utilize Horford a little bit. I think if you have Giannis at the five, you can switch one through five and it, it, it changes things up a little bit defensively for the Bucks. So I think that's probably why uh, Lopez 
his minutes has been down. But having said that, uh, he plays 29 minutes last night. That's just that's a, a high for the series for him. Uh, obviously, he had a big dunk, had some nice plays, but importantly, he was plus 10 in the box score. So he hasn't had, um, you know, in, in game two, it wasn't a good look for him in the box score plus minus. So to see him be the positive contributor on the floor for the Bucks and be out there when they're making their big run, I, I think is big for the series moving forward. There's a lot of adjustments for these guys in this series, and, and, and I think Lopez is a guy that's sort of stuck in the middle. He's so important to what the Bucks do defensively. Uh, but I think also Bud is you know, flirting with those with those other lineups, uh, as I said, with Miritich, Ilyas, Over, and Giannis. So I don't think there's a lot to read into it, but uh, I do agree with you that defensively he has been pretty solid. So I'm actually out of time here. I'm going to keep this thing under 40 minutes today. So there's a couple more questions there, and Ty will be back on Tuesday. I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to have a guest on Tuesday, which is going to be exciting. So I won't say who that is yet, but I will reveal that on Twitter uh, in the coming days. So game four is going to be Monday night in Boston. It's a 6 o'clock uh, central tip, 7 o'clock Eastern. So don't be caught out by by the early tip for this one. The Bucks looking to take a 3-1 lead in the series. Just an incredible performance on the road last night from the Bucks. They get the job done. And for the first time through three games, they now have the Celtics on the back foot. So... Just a, as I said, just a really super impressive performance for the Bucks. They beat the Celtics 123-116 in Game 2. As I said, 6 o'clock Monday for Game 4. And we will be back on Tuesday recapping that one. So enjoy the rest of your weekend, people. And uh, thanks for listening to me. Go solo for the first time. Hopefully, I haven't put too many people to sleep. But don't forget to subscribe and rate and all the stuff with the Eurostep. We appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we will be back on Tuesday, as I said. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.